Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. A real pleasure to have you along here uh, for another episode of our pod. Uh, before we uh, kick off, there's still lots going on at your REC in these early days of August. Uh, do take a look at our latest survey of clients that's available on the website now, our Jobs Outlook survey. Uh, evidence there suggesting clients getting progressively more cautious about the outlook for their own firm and uh, in their view on the economy, but still pretty positive about hiring. Maybe we're seeing some of the signs of those labour shortages in the fact that hiring plans and sentiment seem to be a little decoupled right now. Uh, Our Jobs Outlook came out on Wednesday the 27th of uh, July, so you can go and have a look at that on the website. Other things that I'd particularly point you towards, well we've launched the conference guide, which is the packaged uh, version of our uh, REC 22 conference, which took place on June the 30th. There you can access all the best lessons and thinking from the conference in video form and online, and that's a really great space to uh, to pick up on some of your business planning going in uh, to the autumn. Uh, alongside that, two further things that might help with your business planning and you're talking to clients. Just a couple of weeks ago, we launched the uh, the Overcoming Shortages um, campaign. That's our work to educate businesses, your clients and government on what they could do to make the most of the British labour market in a time of real shortage. And we're picking up on one of the themes of that today in the podcast. There's a toolkit for you to use on the website, so do go looking for that. It's launching in the the early days of August. So keep an eye on the website for that. And then last of all, we're bringing our friend Greg Savage back in person to the UK on August the 31st for a special event in London to look at how we prepare our businesses as recruiters to survive and thrive in a much more unpredictable autumn and into 2023 than maybe we've had over the last few months. You can book on uh, to that to join me and Greg in London for an in-person uh, seminar on making the best of a of an uncertain environment for your company on August the 31st. That's all available online to book as well. So lots going on at your REC, even though we're going through the summer, uh, the school summer holidays now. Um, but for today's podcast, I wanted to dig into one of the themes that comes out of that overcoming shortages report, which is we've got to get better as uh, a country and as an industry at uh, uh, drawing people into work from some of the backgrounds where employment rates are not as high as they should be. And one of the uh, the particular issues we've had for a long time in the UK is our disability employment rate is much lower than I think we'd all like it to be. That's why I'm delighted to be joined on the uh, podcast day by Kate Headley. Kate's involved uh, in the Clear Company, but some of you might have come across her as well through work with the Recruitment Industry Disability Initiative. Kate, welcome to the REC podcast. Thank you very much, Neil. I'm delighted to be here. So let's start. I like to start with people's why. So tell me a little bit about why you got involved in EDI in recruitment and specifically about uh, why disability. Yeah, sure. Um, so a long journey cut short. I'm born and bred in Withenshaw, South Manchester, with great parents and good education, which kind of gave me lots of advantages um, over some of my contemporaries. 
Um, I had a career in HR at Marks and Spencers. So my first employer was an inclusive employer. Um, I then ran HR for Manchester City Council um, back in the day. So again, great insights into societal inclusion. I kind of had this self-made mission that it shouldn't be so difficult to be inclusive around recruitment, but seeing things everywhere that created barriers that were about getting through a process as opposed to getting the right person for the job. I'm sure this is all rhetoric people have heard before. Um, but what, what I find in my experience and what draws me to it, Neil, is that people don't know what they don't know in this space. So there's great intentions, people wanting to get it right, but we're still asking questions like the question you asked at the beginning of this podcast, which is, why have we still got this significant employment gap around disability? Uh, why is it greater around neurodiversity? Why is it greater still around learning disabilities? And the answer is really clear that we've got great talented people who want to work. We've got employment processes and people running those employment processes who want to get great people through them, but don't know where those barriers lie. So I kind of had this self-imposed mission, if you like, to say, look, it isn't that difficult, but it is about recognising what you don't know, learning and removing some of those barriers. And specifically disability uh, is an interesting one because you may or may not know the the audience that I am significantly sight impaired. So I'm totally blind on the left and uh, severely partially sighted on the right. That's a recent um, acquired disability in my life. But in actual fact, I was working in disability inclusion long before that happened to me. Um, But it was it was a salient lesson, shall I say, that it's it's very easy to say, well, people just need to tell us what they need and, and explain about their disabilities And then when it happens to you and you have a white stick for five years and don't use it because it singles you out, you kind of realise there's a bit more to it. So a long answer to a short question about why, but the motivation is, got great talent out there, need to find the golden nuggets and need to let them get through our processes. Well, that that hangs together really cogently for me, Kate. And I think I'm glad you mentioned neurodiversity because I think um, if anything, we're behind on... Um, many of the aspects of inclusion for the physically disabled, but I think neurodiversity we're we're still f- taking baby steps at the, at the beginning of it in lots of, in lots of business. Indeed, the REC is doing some uh, study work with members across the country now on recruitment processes and neurodiversity. And interesting that you've picked out this piece around it not being about tell me what you need to be included, but actually a lot of it is about the inbuilt biases and structures that we've built, which have, uh, which many of us, I think, from uh, the able community don't actually see the uh, the unintended discrimination that takes place through the, uh, um, uh, those routes that can, can amplify and uh, add to any intended discrimination as well which we have to drive out um a lot of your work on this has been funneled through ready through the industry disability initiative um which the rec has been involved with for a long time and you know delighted to be renewing that now with this and a number of other thing uh, things what's the origin story for ready and what's its goals in terms of what it's trying to achieve Yep. Uh, great. Thanks, Neil. Uh, so Recruitment Industry Disability Initiative is one of those beasts that's created its own momentum. So uh, back in about 2009, I think I had the privilege of running a big research project for the DWP, along with other amazing people um, and looking at employers and, and, and why we've got this disability employment gap and what might make a difference. And in none of that research, actually, was the recruitment industry part of the questioning or part of the facilitation in the focus groups. But it came out every time 
as a barrier as opposed to an opportunity for employers that they wouldn't think of going to their recruitment partners to look for support around um, creating an inclusive environment for disabled job seekers. So we reported that back at government level and decided to do something about it, frankly. And um, I don't know if you remember, but 2010 was a pretty hefty year um, government-wise and we had a bit of change going on. And so as, as, as part of that, we took it as a private sector initiative. And I, I, I founded the Recruitment Industry Disability Initiative with a number of core employees who remain on the board. Volunteering programme, we give our time voluntarily. And the idea originally was, let's showcase best practice. Let's find out what's going on. So we do research all the time. The research very clearly says candidate experience is one thing, uh, a recruiter's expectation of the experience they're providing is another thing, and we have to bridge that gap with knowledge, case studies and, and, and confidence build. And so the idea was just to create lots of case studies and share them, really. But having done that and having engaged people along the way of the first two or three years, we realised that we've now got this vast you know, wealth of, of, of information that could support other organisations across the sector. And that although there were lots of good intentions and there were, you know, limited areas of best practice, there were lots of, on an individual and organisation level, really good case studies that would make a difference if people did the same thing elsewhere. Either a single person within a firm doing something great by an individual or a firm doing something great by all its individuals. And so we decided to share that and have a little award ceremony. And I say that, say like that, a little award ceremony, hosted by the wonderful Eversheds in their conference suite that that would take 75 people. So we thought, well, that'd be fine. There'd be loads of room in that. So everybody accepted. Um, it was standing room only, and it's just grown from there. So in summary, Recruitment Industry Disability Initiative um, has an executive board, which you can see if you go to the to the RIDI website, um, but great people from the NHS, from HS2, from Lloyds of London, from Your Good Sales, from APSCO, um, law firms, etc, etc. A real wealth of knowledge and expertise, recently joined by Amazon as well with their expertise around disability recruitment um, and their resident expert. What we're trying to do is to establish a kind of baseline of best practice. So having built up um, so many different uh, case studies and built up awareness and, and we've got we've got people I remember coming to some early RIDI events, now pioneers and ambassadors of disability and recruitment across the sector. Um, we've launched the uh, RIDI pioneers this year. So what we're seeking to achieve is a cohort of, of pioneering organisations. They don't have to be doing multi-million pound training programmes. They could just be creating a culture whereby disability is OK, it's accepted and, and, and it's um, the adjustments are put in place for it. Um, and those pioneers are going to lead this sector to a new generation of disability inclusion so that employers can be educated by the sector and the sector leads that employer engagement and employer education. And doing that in a really positive way, this isn't about, Neil, saying you're not getting it right. This isn't about calling out bad examples. It's not about telling people off or making them feel uncomfortable or uneducated. It's about positivity and the art of the possible and making sure that we share that as widely and as broadly as possible to really harness this industry um, with the reach that you've got um, to ensure that it's inclusive for disabled job seekers, uh, those close to the job market um, and those furthest away, who, who one of the barriers we do know is that we've got to overcome the barrier of this isn't for me, there's no point in me applying, I will never get a job through this industry or in this industry. So there's, there's a lot of work to do, but that's, that's RIDI's 
mission basically that's what we've set out to do and and um and I have to say we're doing it we're doing pretty well i mean in twenty seventeen I think it was our latest research showed that we were influencing the employment experiences of over five hundred thousand candidates through the recruitment businesses that have partnered with us and are doing great things so that's that's kind of in a nutshell a ten year history that um that's super key and and a real some real evidence of impact there you know um this piece about the role the industry can play in shaping huge numbers of people's lives and opportunities i think is is absolutely central to what we're thinking about at the rec in terms of having put some significant additional resource behind our ed and i work in the last couple of years and thinking about you know at the end of the day it's the double million that i talk about you know the industry places a million temporary workers every day and a million people into new permanent jobs every year that is a heck of a uh, of a brief to be able to make some positive change about and on uh equality diversity and inclusion um one of the things is that because there are so many firms and so many clients, there are actually, as you've said, some really brilliant things going on. Um, you know, we, we've started publishing stories on the REC blog on inclusion themes where initially, um, if I'm being completely hand on heart honest, there were some voices inside the REC and sa- said, well, if we go out to the members to find stories here, will we get anything? And the some of the stuff that's coming back is really super impressive um, about how you bring people into workplaces and and give them a pathway. But that belief thing you identify is absolutely clear. And we do a lot of work with Maximus on uh, on trying to get people who are further from the labour market into roles and it's certainly the case from our point of view that it's getting people to the front door and demonstrating that there is a path for them that that is just as important with that in mind i want to kind of jump ahead a little bit um you know, I think so far we've talked in abstracts about how important this is and i think we agree that it is but why don't you just give us a sense kate of uh, some of the good stories that you're hearing, maybe one or two strands of what uh, really good practice looks like from from people you've come across through the through your work with Riddy. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd love to. And again, I could talk all day, Neil. So do feel free to interrupt me if I wax lyrical too much, because um, the work with Riddy just exposes us to the most amazing uh, best practice. Some of the really good stuff is around partnerships. So um, recruitment companies partnering with uh, disability expert organisations, disability led organisations um, to look at what they can do as a collective to bring people into work. And we've seen great evidence of, of really good job outcomes up and down the country. I think the learning point and something that we could do as as an industry sector is how do we bring all of that together more cohesively? Because there's lots of it going on. So you'll get 40 job outcomes here and 100 job outcomes there and 50 job outcomes over there and everybody kind of, you know, almost reinventing what they're doing. So there's an opportunity there to do more, but there's certainly lots of it already going on. Within the recruitment firms themselves, where we've seen the biggest impact is those recruitment firms who think, okay, before we start shouting from the rooftops about how good we are at this and, 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 and you know, 
running seminars and doing some um, engagement piece, we need to get our own house in order. So the ones you, know, you can look at people like Guidance Group and like Page Group, etc., who I've known for the last decade have been doing stuff behind the scenes in terms of you know an audit of their diversity and inclusion uh, policy, process and practice, educating all of their teams, measuring the impact against their statistics, starting to get real valuable data, um, and then going out and putting that into their uh, their candidate proposition. So looking at their own house first. And there's nothing truer than that in diversity. If, if you're, uh, as an organisation, thinking, well, we just uh, disabled people just don't apply to us, you've got to ask yourself why. And the evidence would be either as an organisation, you are, without knowing it, presenting a, you know, a really young, athletic, um, you know, maybe even sports-focused, and, you know, themed organization in terms of its culture which feels great and really enticing for the graduates um but what's it saying to somebody who wouldn't be able to participate in some of those activities so we've seen some really great evidence of people like looking at their brand culture and you know what does their proposition look like in reality um setting up internal network groups for support and sharing stories i've had some really good personal experience going out to organizations who i, I won't name because because that's up to them to do and you know, sitting with their teams, having lunch and learned. And I can remember one specifically, and I, I won't name the, the brand, but it's, it, it's a, an executive firm. And three people disclosed a disability stroke long-term health and condition, a health condition they've been managing for like a decade without ever sharing it within their organisation. So lunch and learns, talks, getting disability confident experts into your organisations to start create that dialogue has a huge amount of pace. And the biggie is about making adjustments. And, you know, there's this kind of myth that came over from the States that if we don't talk about disability, it can't hurt us, i.e. we won't get any legislative pushback because if we don't ask the question, we can't not do it, if, if that makes sense, Neil. Um, actually, the law in this country and in the US um, is about proactivity. So the greatest examples we've seen in um, in RIDI is where organisations have been really proactive. So if I take Page Group as the example, they ask every single candidate and every single member of staff whether they need an adjustment for any kind of life circumstance. So you don't have to put your hand up and go, I'm a disabled person. You, you're, you're automatically enveloped in this whole, what can we do to make this a great experience? And, and, and the, you know, the, the levels of disclosure and request for adjustments go through the roof. A brilliant case study, which I've, I have shared before at a round table, was um, a winner at RIDI, which was the FCA. And I love this because it's pure simplicity. So if you look at all of your members, they could all do this. So what, what the FCA did, and it did it in its graduate programme, but you could do it on any website, you could do it on a microsite, you know, it, it's really easy to do, is they created a video about what they meant by the term making adjustments in recruitment, making it really accessible for everybody. So it didn't feel like, well, I've got to declare myself as, you know, having a wheelchair or I've got to, you know, go through a medical report. It just created this gorgeous, simple video of, you know, if you need a, a, a larger pen, if you need an adaptation to your technology, if you want to just chat to somebody, if you need somebody with you on the day, if you need to take five, have a glass of water, stand up in the middle of it, you know, whatever it is, we can accommodate that, away you go. And in one campaign, 400% increase in the number of disabled job seekers applied through their Emerging Talent Programme. One campaign. Short video. Anyway, sorry, I just thought that's a love that example. It's a hugely effective example. And while you were talking there, Kate, I was kind of 
pull it was pulling the strings on some of the um some of the discussion that we took that took place at our conference at the end of June where Edie and I I think we had an Edie and I session which was excellent but actually it ran through the whole day there's a real moment here obviously because you know we are facing a much tighter labor market than we've ever known uh, so there's a commercial pressure here as well but some of the themes you you happened on particularly in terms of um you know sorting yourself out as a recruitment company first in terms of thinking about the experience in the applicant's shoes in terms of you know we can say it's like the manager who says i've got an, uh, my door's always open you need to acknowledge it takes significant amounts of courage that people don't often have to then walk through that door and the same is true when we talk about things like adjustments. So there's f- some fascinating uh, examples there, Kate, of what firms are doing. And I think we can do more of. And I'm really keen that we use the platform that the REC has to share these stories and tell these stories. Because the, the work of uh, Ready um, is is the kind of thing on which individual recruitment firms are not competing. You know, this is about us all raising the the bar for ourselves as professional recruiters and I know you've got a government appointed role as disability and access ambassador for recruitment so why don't we pick up on that now and say look in that role and with with what you're where you're taking already what's your ambition for where you'd like things to get to uh set as a kind of what McKinsey would call a big hairy goal on this <laughs> okay I'll try it's very simple, actually, um, and it's the, it, it's the reason why um, I was happy to take the appointment because um, it is a cabinet office appointment, so it's quite a responsibility, um, and it's specifically for the recruitment industry. What what I'd like to see is an industry that has a minimum baseline of acceptable performance around disability inclusion. So, what is the minimum we we should expect and can expect and can educate and provide access to for everybody working in this industry, um, and then a stretch level as well. So, we've got a baseline that, without that, actually, you know, the same as health and safety, the same as employment regs. If you're not meeting those baselines, you, you really can't do business in this sector. And I know that's a bold statement, Neil, but that's kind of where I want to take it, to be honest. And it's it's what we've tried to do with Riddy. Um, but the disability ambassador role gives us more clout because I've got the cabinet office obviously behind us um, and, the, and the minister. So that's the sort of baseline thing. How do we do that? Well, we need data. And one of the biggest gaps we've got, so this is the shout out to the audience, if, if I'm honest, and to your membership and the platform that REC so you know uh, courageously uses in this space is we need more data. I know that you yourselves have been out on a survey. We've been out on a survey and it's very difficult Um, to get people to complete data surveys around the industry. So we haven't got a baseline starting point. How many people are employed? um, How many disabled people are employed in in, in the sector? How many are in our candidate pool? How many within that two million, um, you know, the the, the double million, as it were, or the million pound double, whatever you called it. Um, You know, how many um, people within that 
within that talent pool are disabled and are getting through, how many are in that talent pool and aren't getting through. So data's a real ambition and we need everybody's help for that. I'm, I'm setting a round table in September. Kate Shoesmith, one of your colleagues, is going to be supporting that with us. But we're begging for data, seriously. Um, so we can measure our progress because we, you, you, you pushed back on me quite rightly in the beginning, which all sounds great, Kate, but where's the facts? What's the case studies? And we need the evidence. So, But to get the evidence, we need people to share it with us, Neil. So that's that's the ambition. Um, and the, the Ridgey Pioneers are, are the vehicle for that. Um, and we're looking for a pioneer champion. So watch this space because Kate's working on that with us. We'll be going out to your membership looking for a champion of champions. Um, to support that program of change uh, but that that's in a nutshell baseline stretch and how do we measure it that that's the ambition love that absolutely love it and it, you know the the platform that we build at the rec is about us as an industry as professionals where we're creating value beyond uh just delivering a process of bringing people in um and this is a moment lots of recruitment industry leaders have talked to me about this uh, already this year this is a moment where um, clients are struggling for candidates they're struggling to hire uh, they're thinking more about grow as opposed to buy and borrow than they have for 20 even 30 years um, this is a huge opportunity to roll out some what well, I've always been winning arguments about inclusion for disabled people but to roll them out at a moment when the audience, both in the industry and in clients, is is, is ready to listen to them, um, and I think the the firms who move quickly on this poten- potentially are giving themselves not only you know kudos for doing the right thing, but also quite a significant advantage in terms of some things which we'll all in the industry have to adopt over time anyway so there's a real moment here that you know really pleased that kate's uh, involved uh, for our part in driving that and we've put some resource behind this but also inclusion more broadly i couldn't agree more about the fact that we as an industry have to kind of be able to demonstrate the difference that we're making and that data call um, is hugely um, important. Last summer, we published a survey that we'd done jointly with APSCO. Um, and it est- essentially what it established was there was too little monitoring of this stuff going on. So we can do more and we should do more. But I think your role uh, and, and with the fact as a cabinet office appointment gives us an opportunity, a bit of a bully pulpit, as it were, to to work together and move things on. Um, before we before we close, Kate, um, two questions. If there's one thing that you'd want a small recruitment business owner or manager listening this to this to take away um, from this discussion, what would it be? And then secondly, before we close, just give uh, our listeners an idea of where they can pitch in to learn more about the work that you're doing. Okay, great. Thanks for both of those, Neil. Yeah, the small companies, because, you know, I have great sympathy and empathy with, with smaller businesses in terms of resources. So the little things you can do is, is educate your staff. That doesn't mean buying a huge learning program. There's loads of free resources. So disability confident um, at .gov.uk, um, www.theclearcompany.co.uk. We've got lots of downloadable resources, free resources, and we would encourage people to use those. It's, but the big thing that everybody in recruitment can do is ask the question. 
So every time you're hiring at every single stage in every single process, it's, is there anything I can do to make this more comfortable for you and to ensure that you do your absolute best in, 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 in this recruitment process? Just keep asking that question um, and don't be afraid to say, I don't understand or I don't know what is best to do. Help me with that. You know, just um, have the dialogue and have the question and, and realise how difficult it is for somebody who's who will feel. I mean, we've got something like, I think it was something like over 60% of people we surveyed felt they had been discriminated at uh, by the by the industry as a result of their disability. So there's a deep-seated challenge there that's runs through decades. So just keep reinforcing it and saying it. Very simple, doesn't cost money. The little video thing that I talked about earlier doesn't cost money. Seek out those free resources. And in terms of where else to find things, then um, if you follow Riddy, uh, R-I-D-I, um, on Twitter, on um, all, you know all social media, I've got my own LinkedIn page, which I post a lot of um, information on. Um, we've obviously got REC resources and AppsCo resources. We've got some of the leading lights in the, in, in the sector, such as I've mentioned around Guidant Group and um, Page Group, doing amazing things, as are lots of others, I would say, as well. Um, and enter the Riddy Awards. Have a look at Riddy, enter the awards. It's so simple. Nominate somebody for the awards. If you've seen a great candidate, seen a great recruiter, just nominate. And we'll take it from there. We'll interview you. We'll fly you from the rooftops. We'll tell everybody how amazing you are. Um, and you might just win an award. So uh, that would be that would be my ask of everybody at the moment. Amazing. And sort of, I haven't waggled the REC finger of standards up until now. But of course, Article 4 of the REC Code of Conduct requires us to take equality of opportunity extremely seriously for candidates. And a couple of years ago, we toughened up our interpretation of that. Now, that that's the professional standards side, but we can build on that together. And celebrating good stories about what is happening that is making a difference in the industry is so important you talk about your rewards kate certainly what we can do with our blog our blogs and our campaigning activities it's it was great to have Edie and i right at the heart of our overcoming shortages thought leadership stuff uh, the other week so there's huge huge amounts that we can do as an industry and i think getting those good news stories out there and appreciating that um allowing fear of getting something wrong to hold you back from making a difference to people's lives is a mistake you know we can all we can all make uh, make mistakes one of the most powerful things i've ever seen on inclusion was where a company uh, recorded a bunch of uh, a bunch of its senior managers recounting the time they made an embarrassing mistake um, because in reality it's about working out a few good things with the two kind of tools you were applying and and uh, and putting them into action and acknowledging that everything won't be perfect first time. But if things are 50% right, that's 50% more than you had when you started. So I think it's probably time to get our heads down and get a crack on, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And just very, very quickly, what you said is absolutely right there, Neil. So we have a lot of organisations not starting this journey because they fear they're not at the end of it yet. I think people respond really well to stuff on your website saying we want to be a disability inclusive organisation. We're doing our best. If we're not getting it right, please tell us. 
Well, thank you for that, Kate. Fantastic insight into the work of Riddy and what we can all do as recruiters to really move things on uh, in terms of inclusion for disabled candidates. Um, I, I think uh, if you're interested, obviously dig in on the resources that Kate's mentioned. Look out for what we're doing at the REC. There's plenty we can do to make a real difference, uh, both in terms of inclusion uh, in our own businesses, for our clients, access, helping them access new pools of talent, and um, most importantly, opening up routes into work for in an area where the UK employment rate is disgracefully low. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then do dig in, look for some uh, inspiration in another field. Why not try episode 13 with Tessa Hollingworth, MD of Hayes in the Northwest, talking about leading a major recruitment business as a flexible, a part-time worker, um, and the, the, the culture of trust that that enables you to do that and I think something that lots of read across there from for in that discussion to today's discussion or if you're uh, very alive to the challenges posed by the recent Supreme Court judgment on Harper versus Brazel uh, why not listen into episode 12 with Julia Kermode on uh, agency temps and holiday pay really big issue and do look out on the REC website for updated guidance on working time holiday pay and agency work um, for from our legal team. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. Thank you very much to for joining us. Thanks again to Kate for joining us and I'll look forward to you joining us again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.